Hey guys, I want to welcome back Yukon River Knives as a sponsor for the month of December. Yukon River Knives exists to support missions work in rural Alaska by providing outdoor enthusiasts with premium quality knives. A portion of every purchase goes to helping advance the gospel in rural areas in Alaska. Featuring both handmade and high-quality production knives, Yukon River Knives has curated some of the finest and most useful knives on the market. Go check out their products at yukonriverknives.com and enter Shepherd's Crook at purchase for a 15% discount. Hey guys, I have one of these knives personally, and I've been using it this year for hunting season, and it's done a phenomenal job. These are going to make perfect Christmas gifts. You're not going to be disappointed. Go check it out. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well today. We're going to be talking about nationalism and evangelism, and we're going to connect some dots today. And I hope this will be helpful for you, Pastor, as you're listening in, and for everybody else that's listening in. Hopefully, you can connect some dots as well. Let's go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's help, and we're going to trust that He's going to give it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I ask for blessing on this conversation. I pray you would help me to be clear, and you would be uh, help me to be concise, and be helpful to the people that are listening. I trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, before we get into this, I want to remind you of Yukon River Knives. We have a great deal going on with them right now. I'm so thankful for Jeremy McMorris and all he's doing and the founder, Ron Stepp. They are Christian brothers, and they are producing, making, in association with Owen Baker, a knife designer, a phenomenal legacy tradition of knives that are going to be in your pocket, on your belt, for a very, very long time. These are the kind of knives, they're premium. You're going to you're gonna pay some money for them, but they're going to be around. And you're going to be able to give these knives to your kids, grandkids, whoever, down the line. And I, I'm just, this has been my first year using this knife, and it did a great job as I was working in the field with it. I've cut up a couple deer with this. It's just done great. And so these are hunting knives that you can really use around the house if you needed to. I mean, the, the small game knife is small enough to be a everyday carry fixed blade knife if you would like, but it's also uh, a nice enough blade to be able to, uh, you know, field dress a deer, elk, whatever you need to do. And so great knife. Check it out. Link in the show notes, 15% off if you use the coupon code Shepherd's Crook. Okay. The other day I was thinking about nationalism because I'm reading Christian Nationalism right now by Dr. Stephen Wolf. Now, I'm having Dr. St- Dr. Stephen Wolf on the podcast this later this week. I'm going to be interviewing him on Wednesday, and we'll be releasing that interview probably on Thursday or the next Thursday. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. As I've been working through this book and seeing what's going on on Gab and other places around the internet, with a real desire from Christian men and women to see God's word honored in the public square, there are questions that have risen up inside of me. And parallels that I see with this thing with nationalism and evangelism and about the process moving forward. So let's just set up the problem. One of the problems that we see with both evangelism and nationalism is this. With evangelism first, you look out in the world and you see a bunch of non-Christians and you want them to become Christians. How do you go about that with evangelism? Different people have differing answers on how to do that. Often, we'll look in the book of Acts and we'll see what the apostles did or we'll see in the gospels what Jesus did when he shows up on the scene. And we try to mirror that in our ministries at church. Now, often churches that want to mirror that 
will do stuff like seeker-sensitive churches do. They do big outreach events, and they want to go into the city, and they want to reach everybody for Jesus. And they want to do this right now because they want lost people to know Christ. So they evangelize till they are blue in the face. They do outreach groups. They're always busy doing something. They just want people to know the Lord. That's at least the, the stated motivation. And that's what they do. And, and, and then when we think about nationalism, what's the problem? The nationalism problem out there is that there's people that are dishonoring God. They are just literally from library to library, school to school, telling us and from television station to television station, telling us things that are absolute lies and they're going after our children. There's things that are so wicked and evil and vile. Everything that is right and good and normal, true and beautiful has been turned on its head. And then what's celebrated is wickedness, uh, darkness, things that are ugly, despair, and that's promoted as good. Two plus two equals five kind of stuff across the board. It's just nonsense. We see the problem and we want solutions. We want God's word to be revered and honored and we want people to know the Lord and we want that reflected then in things like the law of the land or the law of the state. This is the problem. There's problems that face us. And so we go about solutions. And as I'm thinking about nationalism and seeing a lot of people specifically on Gab really desiring the nation to honor the Lord, I have, again, these thoughts and questions that, that bubble up and these parallels. And so I'm going to read you a post that I threw up on Gab the other day. I want to thank uh, E.D. Robles the other day for reading this on his show. And my friend Paul Rim was messaging me and said, hey, you got to check out this link at this particular time. A.D. said this. And so, Adam, thanks for, for the shout out there. But I want, I want to read it, and then I want to connect these dots in greater detail as we consider Ephesus, ministry in Ephesus, and we make this parallel to nationalism. So evangelism and nationalism. Here's what I said. Don't let nationalism distract you from localism. Meaning, Many Christians evangelize, so this is the connection here, evangelize until they're blue in the face, but they never do family worship. They have a passion for the Great Commission in the world, but they're passive about the Great Commission in the home. Great Commission by way of households, nationalism by way of localism. The parallel that I see with nationalism and localism is the distraction, the real possible distraction of everything out there, so national scene with nationalism, distracting you from localism and the real work that can be done locally, or evangelism, evangelizing the world, going for the nations, getting out there and wanting to see everybody meet Jesus right now, and so I'm going to go out and hit the streets. Not that any of that is necessarily bad, but it is bad if it's to the neglect of what's in front of you, the household. So when we think about the Great Commission, and when we think about evangelism, Pastor, I want you to think through this, what the first thought, when you think about evangelism, what is your first thought? Is it Outreach with the gospel presentation and praise God that he uses that kind of stuff, certainly uses that kind of stuff, and we've seen that God use that kind of thing. But if that's your first thought about evangelism, going out and hit the streets, going out and do one-on-one -on -one evangelism, going out and telling, telling people, or even empowering your people to go out into the city and go out into, their, into the, the, the workforce and who are their spheres of influence and going out into their spheres of influence and telling them about Jesus, all important things. But if your first thought is that when it comes to evangelism, I think you're missing the mark. I really do. Often what happens when we get into the book of Acts and we think about how do we evangelize the world, 
And one of the things that Toby Sumter says I think is really helpful, he talks about evangelism by way of riot. We see that through the book of Acts, there's just riots everywhere, and, and, and Ephesus is a good example of that, of a literal riot going on. And they're about to be charged with an insurrection, and so they have to stop, and they say, go home. And there's all this stuff going on because there are so many people meeting Christ, meeting Jesus, and abandoning their idolatry that the whole economy in the city is turned up on its head. And this is how the gospel can really change a city, is so many people become Christians that the city itself has changed, and the economy of the city has changed. That's what we need, by the way, in America, is we need, avant- we need revival. That's exactly what we need. What we see in Ephesus is... This revival happened. People meet Jesus. You see this revival by way of riot or evangelism by way of riot. But we stop there and we stop to consider what did evangelism look like for the church in Ephesus after Paul leaves, after the riot, when the church is established, when Timothy is an elder there. What does everyday life in evangelism look like for the people of God? Not the apostles, not Paul on his missionary journey. And newsflash here, you are not Paul, pastor. You are not an apostle. You, in the story, are a shepherd established in a local church, like in Corinth, like in Ephesus, like in the Macedonian churches or the Galatian churches. You are an elder in a local place. You're not a traveling evangelist. I know there's some traveling evangelists out there, but even in that, that's not the same as an apostle that we see doing the work of evangelism in the Gospels and in Acts, or excuse me, in Acts. You are a shepherd of this local people. What What did evangelism look like on the island of Crete? Titus establishing these elders, what did it look like? Well, to reach Crete or to reach the city of Ephesus, what first had to happen is Christians had to be present. And what you see even in Acts, or even in um, Acts 19 in Ephesus, is not just going out, we're going to reach the city. It's Christians first being established in that city. And so many Christians throughout the city are now present in Ephesus that their economy has changed. They didn't go out to first changed the economy. They didn't go out to first win Ephesus. There was so many Christians that Ephesus was one. It was changed, we could say. Not that everybody in Ephesus was Christians. But there were so many of them now that the actual, like literally the economy has changed. The whole city was turned upside down. This is incredible. This is what we want in our nation. This is what we want in our cities. This is what we want in our regions and states is we want them to be changed for the glory of God and for King Jesus. That's what we want to see. We want to see the enemies of Christ underneath his feet as he is reigning and ruling. That's what we want. Okay, so as these churches are doing evangelism, the everyday normal life is what's happening right in front of them. These are households. Now, when you're thinking about evangelism, here's where I want you to think first. Pastor, and where I want you you to train your people, because I think this is more biblical. Evangelism and discipleship starts at home. I've talked a ton about this over the years. The epicenter of evangelism is your household. If God blesses you with children, then there are children that need to be trained up, raised in the discipline and the instruction of the the Lord, the culture of the paideia of the Lord, and they need to be told about Christ And even if you're Presbyterian out there listening in, they still have to be born again. Your children have to be born again. They have to hear the gospel of Jesus. And then when they become Christians, okay, that's what I'm saying, born again. When they're born again, they have to be discipled. They have to be raised up. This is what we need desperately with evangelism. For our church, for instance, we don't do a lot of outreach events. In fact, we do zero outreach events. We recognize that there are non-believers around, but what we're expecting is that our fathers, as they're doing family worship at home, as our mothers are being the helper to the husbands, 
we are training up our children, raising them up the way God would have us. And by the grace of God, we're expecting every single one of our children that are being raised right now in our church to become Christians. And then for them one day to grow up or be sent out, hopefully be local, be a part of the church. And then they're going to raise up their children, our grandchildren, and they're going to watch them trust in Christ as well and follow Christ as well and care about his law. This is what we're expecting, evangelism by way of household. So what we don't want to do is be distracted by everybody in the city of Carbondale, and it would be easy to do that. And it doesn't mean that we don't go tell people about Jesus. It doesn't mean we have to go. To, we are going to the murder mills. We're doing that kind of ministry. <clears throat> but we can't let the lost people in Carbondale that don't know Jesus distract us from our households. Now, think nationalism. Do you love America? Well, I mean, I love old America. Not this this new America is really shameful. It's embarrassing what we're projecting to the world. It's absolutely atrocious. And I want you to think more state level, more local level, instead of thinking first national level. Because as you think about nationalism, I'm reading this book, Christian Nationalism, my, the practicals of and the ins and outs of how is this ever accomplished? Well, the prerequisite for any of this is you actually have to have Christians in every sphere of life. You actually have to have Christians. That's the, not just Christians in name only, but Christians who love God, that are actually born again, they're circumcised of heart, they know Jesus and walk with him, they love God's word, they're training up their children and grandchildren, and that they're doing what God had called them to do in a local church, and then when they walk out in the world, they're honoring the Lord with the word, word as well, and they're loving people and serving people and wielding the power that God gave them for his glory and honor. So here's the, thing, here's the whole thing. Christian nationalism can distract you from Christian localism in the same way that uh, evangelism of the world can distract you from evangelism in your home. And I want you to be thinking about this. Your local area, how can you build a Christian localism where you are? Where God's word is revered and loved? Who can run for mayor? I mean, how can you get more Christians within your city? And you pray and trust that the Lord is going to do a work. And as you're taking localism seriously, in time, what ends up happening well, let's trust that God's going to work in time, and as your children grow up, your church is going to grow, and God is going to, to work there. There's going to be more Christians in your region, and as there's more Christians, well, then there can be more Christian influence in the public square. But the prerequisite is more Christians. There has to be revival. There has to be a long-term vision of more Christians locally and more Christians nationally, and that happens by taking things seriously that are right in front of you. And so, pastor, train your people to open their eyes to what's in front of them. What has God entrusted you with? And then trust that as you're doing this slow work of everyday evangelism and discipleship, the fruit of that is going to be local care, more Christians local, and national care, and more Christians national. We're going to care more and more about what God has to say, and God is going to be honored. We're going to trust that God is going to do the work and that the kingdom of God is going to spread. Think local. Think households. And then commit to that and trust God to bless the work of your hands. Guys, I hope this has been helpful. Be thinking through this. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out. If this has been helpful, please subscribe, share, spread the word. If you want to support the channel, please do. This costs money continue to continue to do this work. And I've made very little over the last four years with this. So I'm not in this uh, to, you know, as like uh, some sort of, you know, people the other day, I was seeing comments on Gab, like I was just trying to sell knives. And I think the thought, the thought is uh, sometimes that these sponsorships and stuff come back 
and that this is just some money-making scheme. Content creators are doing this because we care, we love you, we want to honor the Lord, and we have fun doing this. But if you want to support uh, the channel, you certainly can do that, or the, the podcast, please uh, please reach out if you want to do that. Guys, thanks so much, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.